And Revelation 20, verses 7 through 15, we have Satan released for the final battle, his damnation, and the final judgment. Hear now the word of Almighty God, Revelation 20, starting at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thus far the reading of God's inspired word. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 15. Verses 7 through 10, we have the release of Satan. Remember, he was bound, he was chained, he was put under lock and seal in the abyss, in the deep, in the unlimited or bottomless pit. Now the thousand years are expired, or literally right when the thousand years run their full course, come to their telos, their completion their finish line, their expiration. Satan shall be loosed. This is the opposite of his binding. He was bound, now he is released from his bonds. He is loosed from his prison. And notice, he is released. He shall be loosed. He will not loose himself. He will not break himself out of his hold. He will not move a finger except Christ, who locked him up, lets him out. I note that Christ rules the powers of darkness. They can do nothing against what he has designed in his providence. He will not stay one minute longer or one minute shorter until Jesus, who has the keys, releases him. Satan cannot exercise his deceptive power except Christ give him leave. Let us rejoice then that the powers of darkness, which are much greater than ourselves, are lesser by an infinite gulf from Christ's authority. We are not to fear powers that are present, things that are to come, heights, depths, any other creature. Why? Because God rules over them all. 
Note, once he's released, he goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. He is renewing his powerful and deceptive influence. He's covering his old territory. Remember that four is the number of creation. Four corners of the earth, the four winds. That's the idea here. God, in his great wisdom, is releasing the beast, Satan, the dragon. He's releasing him yet again from the abyss so that he may bring this final battle. He's puffing up the devil so that he might throw him down. The devil goes forth to deceive, and who does he get? Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now, if you're familiar with the prophecy of Ezekiel, you'll remember Gog and Magog are mentioned there in two chapters, Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39. In chapter 38, we have Gog. In chapter 39, we have Magog. Now, we would call these two surrounding kingdoms to the Jews. And when a Jew hears of Gog and Magog, he's going to think about their ancient enemies. In fact, if you read the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39, what the Lord says is this. You people of Judah have forsaken and abandoned me. I will therefore put you in captivity. But at the end of your captivity, I will draw you back into your land. I will convert you, as chapter 37 says, in one day as a nation raised from death. Then you will come into your own land and guess what will happen? Gog and Magog will circle around the land that I've restored you to. And what will God do, do you think? from our reading in Revelation, what would you surmise he will do to Gog and Magog? He will send fire from heaven to destroy them. Now, this is an exact parallel. Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation 20 are referring to the same thing. The Jews shall be converted. In fact, in one day, God says to them, I will convert you all, it'll be done. They'll come back to the beloved land. What land is that? Is that the great whore Babylon? No, of course not. This is the beloved city, not the mega whore over there on the seven hills of Rome. They will surround and come around after these Jews have turned back to the Messiah, after they have come out of their captivity and death, have been raised to newness of life. Now the devil says, I must destroy them. I must come against them. I must bring the nations. I must deceive the nations once again. Now notice how many people are in the armies of Gog and Magog. The thousand years are done. The time of the peace of the church is at an end. The time of the conversion of the nations is over and the sand of the sea for multitude are the armies of the devil, Gog and Magog. Verse 8 tells us, And what, pray tell, with this massive army, will Satan overcome the church? Will he destroy the beloved city? Will he destroy the camp of the saints? No, he will not. When God's enemies seem to prosper, God tells us it is that they may perish forever. God allowed Pharaoh 
to be raised up for this very purpose. Why? That he might harden his heart and execute his vengeance upon him. Do not envy the prosperity of the wicked. Do not desire their dainties. Do not follow them in their ways. Where does their pathway end? Destruction. Verse 9 tells us that they compassed the camp of the saints about and that beloved city. Do you know which city he's talking about? What city did they love? What city did David refer to as the city that he longed to have his feet within its gates? The city of Jerusalem. The beloved city, not Romish Babylon, but the city of Almighty God, the people that God loves, the place that he had promised, restoring them to their own land, converted to Christ, awaiting the promises made unto their fathers to find fulfillment. Verse 9 tells us, just as Ezekiel 38:22, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured the armies of Gog. Ezekiel 38:22 reads, I will plead against Gog with pestilence and with blood. I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him with an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Ezekiel 39, verse 6. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. This is what John is talking about. After the restoration of that wayward people, after their raising from death, after their giving again the land of promise made over to their fathers, they will be surrounded by adversaries, and their adversaries shall not overcome. Now notice, the head of this great army, who is the head of Gog and Magog, but the devil himself? What is his fate? Verse 10 tells us. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. You see, the final uprising, Christ released him at just the right time so that he might be elevated with his massive army and thrown down to hell. His ancient generals were there. Remember the beast and the false prophet, emissaries of Satan doing his bidding. Where are they? Same lake, same place. Now, those two generals were destroyed just before the thousand years. And now the king himself, who ordered their cause, he is destroyed, the devil cast into hell. Notice, the devil shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, it's enough to say forever. We know what that means. It just goes on and on. But when the Bible says forever and ever, you had better mark it down. There's no termination to this. The torment of the devil and his angels, of the beast and the false prophet, and as we shall see, all the wicked together, it goes on forevermore. No intermission, no break, no terminus. No end point. I'm done. The flames are done. The torment is done. No, it's not. It goes on forever and ever. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
Men may despise the flames of hell. They may ridicule the doctrine of hell. They may ignore the fiery judgment even in their conscience, but they cannot put out the flame. Men may wish hell out of existence, but it won't go away. You see, if God is a God of justice, He must punish sin. Our conscience knows that. And if God cannot punish or chooses not to punish all sins in this life, where is He going to punish them all? In this life? No, in the life to come. And God in His justice will either punish all of your sins in yourself or He will punish them in His Son upon the cross. It's one or the other. Either, either the everlasting fiery judgment of hell or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you follow the Lord Jesus, you will have life. If you follow the devil, you will have death. It's that simple. The devil has his doctrines, he has his ways, he has his living, and he has his end. His end is to be burned with fire, to be tormented in hell forever. Verses 11 through 15 then reminds us of that great white throne and the final judgment. Verse 11, I saw, John says in his vision, a great white throne. God sitting as king, issuing the verdict, the final judgment, white completely white no spot no stain no injustice no this isn't fair this isn't right nobody's going to be able to complain he that sat on that throne is our lord jesus christ the king of kings the lord of lords the archetype the big king from which his little kings reigned in the thousand years christ himself the earth and the heaven fled away from him. They knew their reckoning was coming. They knew that they could not stand before his judgment, whether demons or men. Do you remember what the devils said to Jesus when he would cast them out? Don't torment us yet. They knew their torments were coming. They knew there were spiritual torments in store for them, but not just yet. They flee away. There was no place found for them. So John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. God the King, God the judge of all men. No great man could say, well, look, I'm a great one. You can't judge me. No, small and great. No exemption by status. And note the books were opened. God keeps a record of all that we say and all that we do, all that we think, all that we feel, all that we intend. He writes it down in a book. Think he's not going to know what you've done? You, you think he can, he can somehow just be ignorant of those things that men are ignorant of? No. There are books. And God will judge by those books. What are the debts that are owed? And the book of conscience, which before might have suppressed or pushed aside the feeling of guilt, yet the book of conscience will speak its record and say amen to the book of God. Small and great, 
stand before God. The books are opened and note, verse 12, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Oh, sinners, let us rejoice in this text of Scripture. All the books with all the evil we've ever done, but there's another book, he says, a book of life. Let us delight ourselves in this other book. This book filled with wealth rather than debts. What do our books say? Where God keeps all of our debts, all of the sins, all of the punishment that we so richly deserve. What does the book of life say? You deserve death? The wages of sin is death? No, the book of life says, this man who is God died in your place. Wealth untold, debts canceled, righteousness put to your account. Christ at the head of the book, you in the body of that book, the book of life. Be in that book. Look to the Savior. Because note, verse 12, the, judge were, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It's one or the other. You either get the books that God keeps the records of your debts or you're in the book of life. If you're in the books, what's going to happen to you? God's going to judge you according to your works. Not according to Christ. Not according to what he did and his righteousness in the Lamb's book of life, but according to your deeds. Can you answer to God and say, but God, you didn't understand. No, he understands. He knows. He wrote it all down. He has absolute knowledge both of the law and the standard. And when you transgressed, even when we don't know we've transgressed, he still knows. It's either the book of life or the books of your sins. None shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. But those in their own persons who stand before God outside of the Savior Christ, they will answer. You will answer for your deeds. And you cannot escape. The sea gave up their dead. Oh, wait! Couldn't I go to the depths of the sea and no one will find me there? God's hand will find you. The sea gave up their dead. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. This judgment will be universal of all living and all dead. Of those whose corpses have been eaten by worms or by sharks. Though you be sunk at the bottom of the ocean, even there God's hand will raise you up to stand before Christ for judgment. I note then this doctrine. God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. There is a day. It's on God's books. It's described here in this passage. It's after the millennium. It's after the releasing of Satan and Gog and Magog surrounding the beloved city and fire coming down to destroy them. It is universal. All men will be judged, all demons, all angels, all will be judged. Those who have lived upon the earth, we shall all appear before the tribunal of Christ. We will give an account 
of thoughts, words, and deeds. If you are not in the Lamb's book, you will give account of your book and then be judged accordingly. Let us then live in the light of eternity. Let us keep God's judgment before our mind's eye. Why? So that we can be miserable and somber? Well, perhaps if you're not in Christ, yes, you should be miserable. Yes, you should be somber. Yes, you should be in fear and trembling every moment of your life. But God, by his grace, opens the door of the gospel and says there is another book. There is a book of life. There is the need to look to this judgment, to live in the light of it, so that we might trust in the Savior, so that we might look to that book of life where all of the ever-blessed Savior's deeds are recorded. Keep that before your mind's eye. Rejoice in his work for you. Pray for the growth of his work in you. Work toward the growth of his kingdom surrounding you. Live in the light of eternity. Notice verse 14. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet were cast. Chapter 19, verse 20. Where the devil himself was cast in verse 10. And where all the wicked shall be cast in verse 15, and also in chapter 21, verse 8. This lake of fire is also known as the second death, verse 14 tells us. All men are dead in Adam, born dead in trespasses and sins. This is the second death. A man may pass from this life and die in his body and yet live unto God. The second death does not touch him. Or a man may die having died first in Adam and died now in hell, the wages of sin being death, and he will pay. What a miserable existence. Dead in Adam, dead in hell. Would you avoid this second death? Come to the second Adam. Receive that first resurrection. Because note, verse 15 again reiterates, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, what shall be their end? Well, he says, a lake of fire. I say then, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Become an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. Flee to the blessed Lamb of God. Be cleansed in his blood. Be delivered from this second death. And thus far the exposition of Revelation chapter 20.